Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your number one mobile GPS hunting app that turns your smartphone into a mobile GPS. And that can be used with or without cell service anywhere in the field. And it's just a a very good thing to be able to have the, the fact that you can go through, mark all your waypoints, you can scout online on your computer at home and it automatically transfers right over to your phone and you're able to use that you know at any time out in the field so this time of year is especially important i mean i'm using onyx just about year round but this time of year is really important to do your pre-scouting whether that's for whitetails that's for elk mule deer or anything else that uh, you're chasing after the onyx hunt app can be a very valuable tool for that so if you want to check out the app, if you head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the app. And the University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And if you listen to the last podcast I did with Corey last week, you know, you'll know that Corey is full of information and he definitely doesn't leave anything on the table here. He puts everything out there from the first planning phases all the way through gear, through elk calling, fitness, down to elk hunting knowledge packing the game out, everything in between. And in addition to the membership, you get some deals and discounts on a bunch of elk hunting gear from the Elk 101 store and some of their partners. So go check that out over at elk101.com. And if you use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST, that'll save yourself 20% off of the online course. And Tethered. So Tethered has developed the lightest weight, safest elevated hunting gear available and in that being said it's it's focused towards the saddle hunting community which is a very niche community that up until just recently there wasn't a whole lot of innovative gear available and tethered is still the leader in that with being able to come out with products that just work for you i used the the tethered predator platform and now I'm using the Phantom Saddle this year. I mean, both those combinations are extremely light, and it's just a, a very good tool to be able to use for mobile hunting. If you head over to tethernation.com, you can not only check out their gear, but you can also learn about saddle hunting as their number one goal is to inform people on it and some of the benefits of that. So head over to tethernation.com and check that out. So last but not least, I have, a, I guess, some news to, to give out here from our friends over at Maven. So Maven Optics, if you've been following along with the podcast for a while or just even before the podcast myself, I've been using Maven Optics now for quite a few years. And, you know, Maven's a, a direct-to-consumer company, been able to come out with full lifetime warranty products, the highest-end optics at an affordable cost because of their direct-to-consumer business model. Well, they have just released their new CS1 spotting scope. 
So if you're familiar, Maven has the S series and the B series in there in their binoculars and now they have done that with their spotting scopes so the b series or you know in their their spotting scope would just be the s series is the like the top of the line everything is is uh you know built to perfection you know but that also comes a little bit of cost where the the c series binos and now the spotting scope are kind of like their mid-level where they're still using the highest end ED glass that you're seeing in their top end ones, but are able to add some different components in there to make them a little bit more cost effective and also a lighter weight. So last year they came out with the S2 spotting scope that I used on my elk hunt and they wanted something to kind of fill in the gap in between, between their products they already had out. So this one is a 15 to 45 by 65 millimeter spotting scope so it's powerful but yet still compact enough to to be able to to view out at a distance and so it's just over 40 ounces and only 11.4 inches in length so it's pretty light for what it is and in a you know a somewhat small package but still gives you a pretty good field of view um scratch resistance lens coating and is of course waterproof and fog proof as all their products are um, if you head over to mavenbuilt.com, you can check out all of the information on this new spotting scope and get it in time before hunting season. If you use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT, then uh, by using that, you get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. And and uh, it, it, the gift can vary depending on what you get, but um, could get some cool stuff with that. So check that out over at mavenbuilt.com. All right, so on today's episode, I am joined by Trail Kreitzer from Go Hunt. And Trail and I, 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 I've been you know watching Trail stuff for a while from the videos, and I've been reading all the stuff at the Go Hunt blog for forever now, it seems like. And I'm pumped to get him on the podcast and talking. So, you know, we wanted to kind of take this down to the basics and talk about you know, the basics of hunting elk, mule deer, and other big game, more or less like kind of an intro to Western hunting. But, you know, in a, so within that, we talk about the most important gear items, like where are you going to spend your money at, dealing with altitude, putting together a plan for an over-the-counter elk hunt, executing the plan when the first plan fails, getting over target panic, and then we also talk about Trail's first experience hunting whitetails as West meets East. And so this is, uh, you know, a great episode for hunters wanting to head west for the first time, but also some information for experienced hunters as well. So a bunch of stuff in here and trail is always just, uh, you know, a great guy to be able to talk to. So pumped for this episode and to get even closer as next week I'm heading to Alaska. So just finishing up some stuff there, which seems like i never done with you know preparing for it and getting things together you know stress is uh you know stress and anxiety is definitely high but uh you know with that being said excitement definitely trumps that and just can't wait already getting some texts from uh some of my buddies garmin inreaches in the field that are hunting caribou currently got some people with some bulls down already and it is just getting me fired up so looking forward to that but in the meantime enjoy this episode with trail and if you like it 
leave a rating review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to. Really appreciate that. Subscribe to the channel. It uh, definitely means a lot. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right, we're live. I am joined on the line here with a friend of mine coming from all the way across the country, Trail Kreitzer. How are you doing? Good. How are you, man? How are things back there? Uh, Pretty good. Did I pronounce your last name correct? Yeah, man. Nailed it. (laughs) All right, good. That's a tough one. You worked on it. (laughs) I was like, I should have asked that ahead of time, but... uh, um, I've, you know, I've read, uh, read yeah. the name a bunch in, in, uh, in articles and stuff you've written and things, but, uh, it always seems to be, you know, pronounced a little differently than I think. <laughs> yeah. You notice I didn't, I didn't try your last name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, uh, it's funny. My last name is pronounced Martonic, but yeah, I usually get Martinic, uh, just about any, any different way you can put those syllables together and pronounce it. You know, that's, that's what I normally get, even with people that have known me for a long time. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chrysler is a tough one. I get, uh, typically I get Chrysler. So, I like the car, um, Chrysler, but I uh, you. You nailed it. Yeah, they got you got an L thrown in there somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. it just, it's too tempting, you know, when you've got Chrysler and you see Kreitzer, it's just like it's too tempting to throw that L in there and get Chrysler. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Trail, welcome uh, to the podcast here. I'm I'm pumped uh, to get to talk to you. If um, before we get you know kind of rolling here, would you mind giving uh, a little background on yourself? You know, kind of you know. You work for Go Hunt. Talk a little bit about that and a little bit kind of what makes you tick with hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, uh, I worked here at Go Hunt. Uh, this is my, my third full year at Go Hunt. I uh, came on in 2017 in the spring. And uh, I guess primarily as I came on, my job was kind of split between the, uh, the insider portion of the website and then uh, we just barely started the gear shop. And so my job was kind of split between those two different factions uh, on the insider side of things. Um, it's kind of transitioned to where I do a lot of the uh, writing for the application strategy articles. So if you're a Go Hunt insider, uh, you'll see those come out typically about a month uh, before the application deadlines across the West for each state and each species. And, um, you know, those take a, those take a ton of time. I mean, I, I'm probably 350 pages, you know, written pages, uh, every spring in, uh, you know, analysis and application strategy on, on different states and different species. So I write a bunch of those. And then, uh, on the gear shop side of things, um, I pick a lot of the, the gear, you know, in conjunction with a bunch of the guys that work here, we're all kind of gear junkies and we all kind of follow that stuff. And, and so, um, that's kind of probably the, the other half of my job is I work in the gear shop and pick a lot of the gear, uh, handle a lot of the customer service, uh, side of questions. So if somebody's looking for like a new backpack or, you know, they want a recommendation on a boot or a tent, um, for any given hunt, um, chances are they, they'll get a chance to talk to me and, and kind of help them and, and hopefully I steer them in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my job at Go Hunt, uh, customer service. I'm kind of, I don't know, I like to tell people I'm like a utility player here. I, I kind of do a, a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I live, 
<laughs> I live here in southern Utah. Um, Goha has a little little satellite office in southern Utah. There's a few of us that are just like holdouts that couldn't couldn't deal with the Vegas heat. So there's actually um, four or five of us up here in a little a little satellite office in southern Utah, which is oh I don't know probably 20 degrees cooler than Vegas, which is which is nice. So yeah. um, live here. I've got uh, got three boys. So my oldest is 15. Which is hard to hard to believe, <laughs> hard to stomach. Um, yeah, the other day he was asking me if we could uh, start working on getting his learner's permit, which is just complete. You know, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around that still, but um, yeah. And then like you know, hunting. I've been I grew up in a hunting family. Um, my parents originally moved out from Indiana, uh, ended out here in southern Utah, and and my dad primarily moved out because he wanted to to hunt the Intermountain West, and and it was just a you know, big fan of the outdoors. The guy, he, he spent probably, oh, 10 to 20 days every year. He would take off on his own and, and backpack hunt for, for deer. And, uh, even, even for elk when elk were, I mean, elk are everywhere now, but back when, you know, when he was out here just with the Utah, they weren't hardly anywhere. So, um, I was kind of, you know, born and raised in it. And, uh, you know, I've hunted since I was a kid, started out deer hunting and then, um, kind of transitioned as elk got more, uh, prevalent here in Utah, started elk hunting. And, um, you know, I, my, my background, my degree is in wildlife science. And, uh, I was a biologist for game and fish here in Utah for about seven years, uh, before I came uh, on to go hunt. But really, yeah, my, my love is just in, in wildlife and in hunting and, and being outdoors. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate that, uh, I've got a chance to hunt a bunch of different states. I've hunted almost every state in the West and, and Alaska a few times. And yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. It sounds, uh, it sounds like you're definitely, you know, pretty busy in your role with go hunt. And then, you know, I've, I've followed along for the last couple of years, seeing some, some of the stuff you've been up to and a lot of the, the writing and everything. And, and if anyone hasn't, you know, checked it out. And I I had Brady on the podcast here back in January. And, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, about go hunt, but like the insider articles that you're writing there are just incredibly helpful. I mean, that's how, you know, basically I planned my elk hunts for the last few years was solely, you know, using the, the, the go hunt website from the standpoint of, you know, kind of figuring out, where I was going to apply and, you know, also just for the over the counter options, what, what that was going to look like. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been really helpful. It's if, uh, hopefully no one from works listening, but if you look at my homepage, when I pull up Google Chrome, it's one of the top four items there that I, that I click on every day to check out the articles. (laughs) Yeah, you can, uh, you can kill time on, on gohunt.com on your insider subscription. So like if you're a, a Western big game junkie and you know, you're looking for hunting opportunities, you can definitely go down some rabbit holes and, and kill some time on your go hunt insider account. Yeah. And one other thing you had said on that is just like being able to the gear shop, which is, seems to be continually expanding is nice. Cause it seems like, um, you know, it's a lot of, handpicked stuff from from you guys and you know which has you know has some weight behind it as far as that and and being able to reach out with any questions that's just huge because especially us you know from the east that might not have grown up 
doing this style of hunting and you know the the gear can be kind of overwhelming at first you know you're not sure what you need or mm. what you want and it's just a it can i i've definitely gone down the side of the the gear head side and have spent too much money on things that i probably didn't need to but i, I love testing new stuff and trying new things for no reason i kind of I actually i came home today right before i got on the the phone here and there was a new sleeping bag at my doorstep so uh yeah <laughs> right on what uh what did you get i got a i got a marmot um uh, what was it it's a synthetic bag i got for alaska the trestles oh. eco light yep 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 so i picked that up yeah. 20 degree bag and um i I pulled it out and i was like man this does not feel like a 20 degree bag so <laughs> let's see <laughs> yeah you may you may want to you may want to take some extra down layers just in case you end up huddled up in it huh yeah that's it that's it <laughs> normally i mean I, that's i normally um well my my other one I, that i ran is a big agnes uh bag that's a 25 degree bag and i always just have my um, my puffy jacket and pants that I'll wear inside it if I, if it gets cold. Yeah. 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 No, you'll be, you'll be all right. It's, uh, Alaska's crazy though. I mean, you can, you can get all kinds of weather, especially it sounds like you're going on in August. I mean, you can have daytime highs in the, you know, maybe fifties or sixties. And then, yeah, I mean, you could have one of the worst storms you've ever, you know, seen roll in. So it's, uh, it can go either way, but one thing about it is you'll, you'll be up for an adventure. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so I'm really excited about that. It was, it was funny when I was talking to the the air taxi that's flying us in. I was like, you know, I know that weather can be, you know, it can be variable. But what what can you expect? And it was actually the, the guy's wife, and she's like, oh, it's like 60s during the day and 40s at night. I'm like, I feel like it's a little more complex than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and if it's not given an hour, right? That's <laughs> that's what they say in Alaska, right? It could be, you know, sunny and 60 and, you know, within an hour you can have snow falling and, and be, you know, sub, sub freezing. So <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. I want to ask a follow-up question if you don't mind. Go ahead. I'll, I'll interview, I'll, I'll interview you a little bit, but um, <laughs> it, uh, it would be interesting to me. So you're, you're, you're relatively new and I, I follow along with you as well. Um, but so, like, once you started coming out west, I'd be interested, like, was there a piece of gear that, um, you know, that you picked up or you bought that you came out that you either thought, like, you know, I wish I'd have done this differently, or was there a piece that you brought that you were like, yeah, this is a must-have for every western big game hunter? Yeah, so i say the, the biggest things um, for me were backpack and boots. Um, I'd mm-hmm. say, like, I had, so I, it was 2016 was the first year I went, and the first, you know... I was like reading everything I could and I was like, you need the most ultra lightweight stuff I could get. And I bought a backpack and I don't even think they make it anymore, but it was a, a Kuyu ultra 6,000 and it was so light. They were running a Memorial day sale. I got it for a great price. And the first day, I think it was the first day I on the trip, I used it all summer. No problem. So I didn't really know any better cause I didn't ever use any other type of pack like that and i cinched down my bag and i tore it right down i tore the fabric right down it when i cinched it tight and then mm-hmm. my cousin who i talked to into buying the same exact pack his main uh, buckle on his his hip belt broke 
<laughs> so it snapped oh, no. one of the plat. So he had it tied the rest of the trip, the rest of the seven day backpack on our first ever hunt <laughs> like that. And uh, so we had some, we had some issues there. So I was, um, I, I learned that was with that, at least with that model and stuff, I, I, I geared towards the side of a little bit heavier isn't, isn't bad if it's going to hold up. So, um, yeah. So I definitely, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. And then, uh, then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that's, that's great advice. But I, I I think, I think a lot of people do get hung up on, you know, like chasing that, uh, that lightest weight option of of any and all things, you know, it's like, it's, it's great when it works. Um, when it, when it doesn't, it can just be, you know, a complete suffer fest, you know, I, I had, it's funny. I had the exact same backpack. I, I did a backpack hunt for elk in uh, Wyoming and I got a brother that lives up there that's a resident. So he was my, you know, my resident guide and uh, he and I backpack into an area and, and I killed a really nice bull and, and coming out of there, I had that exact same pack and mine, mine stayed together, but I can tell you it definitely did not handle the amount of weight that I had in it. Uh, well, yeah, I know by the time I hit the trailhead, I was, I was pretty well done with that pack. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I've heard that even from some other people, um, similar similar thoughts on it. And and the other thing that worked well for me actually was my boots. Um so I'd bought a, a pair of Loa Tibet, which I actually still own those boots, but um they were really great. I wore them in and they fit my foot well, but I had heard of other people that had, you know, some nightmare situations with it. So that was, that was really good that that, you know, worked out. And another thing that I still don't, um, you might be able to give some insight on this, but water filtration, uh, has been something that I've been trying different options. I still feel like I don't have the, the perfect option I've used and I, I still have it and I had to buy some new filters, but the the inline system or the gravity fed uh system who who makes that platypus um so i have mm-hmm. that and it works really good if i had clean water but the one day in colorado i'd filled up basically out of a pond that was kind of like an elk wallow it was disgusting water i can't but uh I don't know why I did because there was definitely options within a few hundred yards of there that I could have chose differently. But, uh, I remember my brother being like, you know, this, uh, those filters are like, they're, they're good for X and many thousands of gallons. They're made for anything. I'm like, okay. So I filled it up and it clogged that thing up so bad. Um, so now I, 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 I will use that. Um, but I also have, um, I also either have the droplets, um, in my pack or the, a SteriPen that I, I keep as well. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're spot on those, those little inline filters have the, the little looped micro filters and they're small and they work great when the water is relatively clear, but you're, you're right. You get any kind of debris in them, they can clog up, uh, pretty quick. They can also freeze, which can be, uh, annoying if you're, if you're trying to use them in cold weather, but yeah, like some of the MSR, like the, uh, I believe it's the mini works, some of those that you can actually have a ceramic filter that you can pump. So, you know, the Catadine Hiker Pro is another one, mm-hmm. um, that you can actually pull out and clean. I mean, those are great if you're, you're dealing with a lot of particulate in, in the water. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think everybody's had that same struggle with the water filter. And, and I'm like you, I've gone to where, uh, I carry both, you know, I'll, I'll carry a filter, whether it's like a, 
you know, Catadine Hiker Pro, but then I'll also carry some sort of, um, you know, way of purifying it, whether that's a steri pin or the Aqua Tabs or, um, you know, last year I was in Alaska and the, the guy I hunted with up there, he had this little thing called, it's a Rover Blue pin. It's a little ozone pin. Mm-hmm. And this thing, I mean, this thing, this thing's tiny. It's like the, you know, the size of a, a writing pen and, uh, you, you electric, it's a charge, so it's electric, um, charges up in no time at all. Uh, but you basically push the button, stick it down in the water, stir it around, and you can see these little ozone bubbles, you know, coming off. But, um, yeah, we were drinking water right out of the river, you know, just filling up our Nalgene bottles and then treating it with this ozone pen, and that worked awesome. So I'm a big fan of that thing. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That, um, cause I, I read mm-hmm. like, so we're, we're flying up to Alaska and it's an un, unguided hunt, but flying with an air taxi, it's going in and they, you know, sent out like a recommended, you know, gear list and they were like, Oh, you don't, you know, don't really need to filter water. And I'm like, ah, I still feel like I want to at <laughs> yeah. some point, you know, I don't want to ruin a hunt based on that. Man, there's, there would be nothing worse than getting all the way out there, you know, in the middle of nowhere hunting caribou and, and get sick. Yeah, <laughs> it just isn't isn't worth it, man. I I treat everything. Yeah, that's 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 kind of my plan. Were you were you hunting with Steve Opat? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was. You know, Steve. Yeah, I I do a little bit. So Heather introduced me to him as well as she introduced you know us, and I talked to him on the phone last year for like I feel like an hour or so, you know, and then I. And we've talked a little bit since, but uh, I actually need to get him on the podcast as well. He's uh, he's a seems like a lives a really cool life. Yeah, yeah. Steve's a, a good dude, and just I mean, it's uh, I met him. Same thing. I met him through through Heather uh, a few years at the, the Western Honey Expo, and just linked in with him. And he, he and I were, I remember he and I just standing in the booth. Uh, shooting a bull, talking, you know, different hunts and stuff. And I said, man, I'd always wanted to go on a moose hunt. And uh, he's like, well, you know, come on up, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I just met the guy. But he uh, he was like, yeah, no, for real, come on up, you know. And I think the next year I saw him again at the expo, and he's like, yeah, I've got this spot, and, and I've been thinking about it, looked it on a map. He's like, you know, would you would you be up for it? Do you want to do it? And, and I, I was like, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> so we actually made plans. And like that's that's the extent of me knowing him was you know visiting at uh, at the hunt expo there in Salt Lake and then yeah I mean he and I put together the trip and and lumped on but like the first time that we'd ever you know spent any real time together was you know nine days in in uh, the backwoods of Alaska so <laughs> and it turns out that guy's like everything I thought he was just a just a solid dude I mean really 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 a cool guy really interesting um, like really passionate about hunting in the outdoors and you know, lives lives an interesting life, and and he was a uh, that was a fun trip. Yeah, cool, cool guy, Steve. Yeah, I mean those those uh those shows are really cool for getting to meet you know people like that. A lot of like minded people that go through it. Western Hunt Expo has been one that I've had on my list. I actually, I think I I don't know if I had plane tickets booked this year or I was planning on I was going to work the show for Heather, and then they decided they weren't going to go, and just I. I need to get out there. I feel like that's a, would be a, a fun show to go to. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's grown so much. It's, I would say, I'm, I don't even know how many years they've been doing it, but it just continues to grow and gets bigger and bigger. And yeah, it's an awesome opportunity to kind of link in with people and, you know, meet new people, just like me meeting Steve. I've met a bunch, made a bunch of contacts there. So I would say, 
Yeah, <laughs> provided COVID lets us, you know, yeah. plan on it in 2021. Yeah, how about it? it so it has, well, actually, I want to, I want to, before I ask you about your travel plans there, I want to go back and ask you the same question of what do you think your biggest, the biggest gear items for, say, either someone new to backcountry hunting or just in general, some of the most important, uh, important gear for you? Yeah, I, uh, I typically tell people, um, especially if they're, they're coming from the Midwest or the East coast and they're coming out and, and whether they're coming on an elk hunt or, or a mule deer, or like, you know, antelope hunt, for example, is a great entry hunt into Western big game. Um, I typically tell them like after your, you know, your weapon, whether that's your bow, your rifle, and then your permit, I, I think probably the next and most important item, uh, is optics. So, you know, it's, it's not uncommon in Western big game hunting to spend, you know, hours and hours a day behind your, your binoculars. Um, and then, you know, mounting those on a tripod will make a tremendous difference to you. Uh, I remember my oldest brother, Todd, who I grew up hunting with, it's probably been, oh, maybe 18, 20 years ago. He's like, Hey, you should try mounting your, uh, your, your binoculars on a, on a tripod. And I was like, what, you know, I, I can sit and glass off my knees. And, and he's like, no, I'm serious. You should put them on this uh, tripod and you're going to be just blown away with the amount of uh, stuff that you see. And I mean, unequivocally, that thing, I mean, mounting your binoculars on a tripod will change your life <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for Western big game hunting. So, um, and you know, optics, I feel like, uh, you know, they're expensive. I mean, I'm not going to lie when you, when you look at, uh, like a, a Vortex, some of those upper ends or a Leica or Swarovski or Zeiss, it's a pretty significant investment. Um, but I, I think it's one of the best investments you can make. I mean, it's a quality piece of, of gear that if you buy it, you'll probably have it for, you know, I'm still using a pair of Leica binoculars that, um, you know, I conned my wife into burning our tax return when we were going to college on a, on a pair of Leicas. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm still using them, you know? So, um, yeah, good glass, I think is super important. Uh, then kind of along the same lines of you, you know, I think a good pack and good boots, um, you know, good clothing is, is important. It'll help you out. I don't know that it's like, you know, the, the first thing, but I would say good boots, good pack, good optics. Um, and then I typically tell people the other thing, like as part of your camp system, if you're looking to do you know, backpack hunting, uh, it's really tough to be a good sleeping bag, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, the really good sleeping bags that you're talking, you know, Marvin makes a great bag, um, Western Mountaineering, you know, feathered friends, there's, you know, Stone Glacier. Um, there's some other companies out there that make really good bags, but that's another product that like, if you buy and you take care of, you're going to have that thing for 25 or 30 years. Um, you know, I've got a couple of Western mountaineering bags that I've had for 15 years and, and you know, they're like new. I wash them a couple times a year and, and those things are just money. Every time I, every time I need them, you know, they deliver. So that's kind of my, my piece of advice, I would say. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a good piece of advice. And, and what I've learned too, is like it up front, you know, I, I probably spent more than I needed to, um, to get, you know, gear for the first hunt, but I, overall I just kept building it year after year. And like when I went on my old hunt last year, besides, I didn't need anything. Like I, I upgraded things because I wanted to try them or something, but I didn't need anything. So that helps, you know, then, you know, you know, your first hunt might be a little more of an investment, but as I can promise you that, well, 
for most people, you're going to want to go back again. And it just, it becomes easier once you kind of have that gear built up and, and I, you know, I mean, you can definitely, um, you know, whatever it takes to, to get the tags and go definitely. But if you, if there is a possibility of buying the, the quality stuff, like you were mentioning, it does, it is nice that it lasts year after year and, uh, you know, it's, it is an investment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like, you know, boots are obviously nothing can ruin your hunt more than sore feet. You know, like if your feet hurt, if you've got bad blisters, you know, either your heels or your pinky toes and it eats those up. I mean, that can ruin your day in a, in a heartbeat, ruin your whole, tri- your whole trip. So, um, good, good boots are a must. I mean, we already talked about a pack. Um, you know, I, I sleeping bags to keep you alive, you know, yeah, <laughs> you, you might need that for, for, for survival. Um, you know, another piece of gear that I didn't even mention, but I think is super handy. That's just, you know, recently to the market, maybe last seven or eight years or so are these little satellite messengers. So mm-hmm. Garmin makes this one called, uh, an inReach and they make an inReach Explorer and an inReach mini. Uh, and then they have a new one called the 66 I, which is, you know, has aerial imagery and all that. But, um, man, those can give you so much peace of mind, you know, just being able to keep in touch with, um, you know, friends and family at home. And I remember, I went on a hunt, uh, it was actually the same hunt in Wyoming and, uh, you know, I had a, a spot, which at the time was a great little unit. You know, you could essentially had an SOS button and then it also had a button that you could send that just said, I'm okay. You know, which is great. Cause my wife always, you know, my wife, and my kids always knew that I was okay, but like, I didn't have any interaction with them, you know, so I had no idea what was going on with, with them. But, um, you know, these new in reaches, they're, they're awesome because it's just like being able to send and receive text messages. So, you know, you, you can keep in touch with home. And, and if you should ever get in a real bad bind, um, it's cool that those have those little SOS features that, uh, you know, people can come in and help you out, which is cool. Yeah, that, the inReach Mini, I bought that a couple of years ago. I was working for a bow shop and we became a Garmin dealer and I picked one up and they are so nice, so handy to have. Um, you know, this year, this past year, I used it. My buddy that I was hunting with that actually I'll be going to Alaska with, he had an inReach. So I texted him. He was elk hunting in a different, um, we, he was in a different spot. So I texted him when I shot my bull, you know, that a bull down and was able to send the location right to him. And then him and, and my cousin came up to help pack out the bull. Like otherwise that would have never happened. Never would have been able to get a hold of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done the same thing. I've been able to detect my buddy and, and he's been able to call a packer and give them my GPS location based off of, you know, the information I sent him, you know, the packer pulls up the GPS, plugs in my coordinates and comes in on horses the next day and gets me out, you know? So yeah, that stuff is, that stuff is, uh, invaluable. It's, those are awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and trail on a side note, as we were sitting here talking, I looked out my window of, of my office at my house and r- like right outside the window, about five feet, there was a, a fawn, a little deer was just standing out there, just middle of the day in the yard. Right on. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny, but that's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's a nice thing. of kind of living in the, the middle of nowhere here. I got deer in the yard all the time. So that's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. So has, 
everything with COVID affected any of your hunting plans for this year? Um, not as of yet. Uh, I'm worried just because it seems like there's more states that are kind of, you know, getting back into maybe locking things down a little bit. I, I hope it doesn't go to, you know, like, you know, further and I'm hoping it doesn't restrict travel or anything like that. But, um, yeah, so far, you know, everything I, I didn't have any plans to head to, you know, Alaska or anywhere. I've got, uh, I've got a bunch of tags. I just, I have a bunch of tough tags, you know, so it's going to be, I'm going to have to work pretty hard and, and have some luck too, to have some success this year. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a full fall. It's just, I'm going to have to work pretty hard to find some success. Yeah. What, um, what kind of hunts do you have planned? Yeah. So I've got, um, an archery tag, archery deer tag here in Utah, just on a, a general season unit. Um, it's, it's not a unit that I've hunted before, but it's a, a unit that's relatively close to my house and, uh, which has been super cool. Cause I've been, I've been getting up every morning and, and running out. It's close enough that I can get it out and glass until about eight or eight thirty, and still make it to work by nine. So I think, well, I don't know, maybe the last week or so I've been out every morning looking for deer, which has been pretty fun. Um, so I've got that archery deer tag. It's just a general season tag, but I mean, general season deer hunting in Utah is still pretty good. You know, I think if I'm lucky that I live close enough that I think, you know, if I scout pretty hard, I, I think I can do quite well. Um, but it's like I said, it's still a general season tag. It's going to take some, some hard work and some luck, but, um, I've got that. And then I've got a archery antelope tag, uh, in Wyoming. Um, we've got a, we've got an intern that works here. Uh, her name is Jill and she works on our content team and she's never, never killed anything with a bow. Um, I think she's 19, so it's kind of funny. But she, uh, she was looking for an opportunity to go bow hunting, and I had I had some points in Wyoming, and uh, I had a unit that I always wanted to hunt, uh, and she wanted to go hunt, and so we decided we're gonna we're gonna film a hunt. So she and I are gonna go out there and archery hunt pronghorn, which would be pretty fun. And um, I'm actually super excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be be a lot of fun. So spot and stock antelope, or you know, it may end up doing some sitting in a blind, but I. You ever you ever antelope hunted? No, I haven't. Yeah, you got to get into that. I know it seems like you know they're a small animal and and there's not nearly as much bone on you know horn growth on their head as yeah. like a mule deer and elk or whitetail, but um man they're cool. They're I promise I I think you'll get hooked. Yeah, well last year my my brother drew a tag in Wyoming and he went up by himself and he shot a he shot a buck there right when I was right after I shot my elk and I met up with him and got to see it and he was telling me about it and he's like he was he had eased a rifle and he's like it was he said it was amazing he's like this unit that he that he drew um didn't take a lot of points or anything he's like I didn't run into any other hunters didn't have any issue he went up and scouted because he lives out in Colorado so he drove up and scouted and found this buck and didn't expect to actually shoot that one. That wasn't his, you know, his goal, but, uh, he ended up shooting it and, uh, it was, he said it was so cool. And he ended up, he's going back again this year for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're neat. I think they're one of the prettiest animals that we have out West. They're just, they're real, real colorful. They're pretty. Um, they're tons of fun to hunt. I mean, Wyoming, like if you want to bow hunt them, you can literally, you know, bow hunt all day long. You can blow stock after stock after stock just because yeah. 
there's there's so many of them, you know, and it's it's an action packed hunt and and a ton of fun. So I would say, if you haven't done that, I'd put it on your list because those are super fun hunts. But um, I've got that, and then I've got a I've got an elk tag, an archery elk tag uh, in Colorado. Um, we're gonna film a, another hunt. There's a, another guy that works here, Chris Neville. He and I are gonna go and, and do a hunt. Uh, I think we're probably gonna leave maybe the 14th or so and, and try to hunt through about the 25th. Uh, and then let's see. Oh, my kid. Yeah. My 15 year old. Um, you know, I took him out hunting this last year and he shot a cow elk and while we were sitting there watching, uh, this little herd elk come out and he, he, <laughs> he picked out this elk and shot it. And in the meantime, we had another little, you know, a little five point, probably like a three year old five point, uh, bull come out below us. And he got to sit there and watch it through his binoculars and he was just so excited. And he was like, Oh, that bull, you know, that bull is a giant. And he was so stoked. And, um, so I asked him this year, what do you want to hunt? And he said, oh, I would, I, would, I would love to hunt a bull elk. And so I've been buying him points and building points in Colorado. So he actually has a, a first season bull tag uh, for rifle over there, which is it's a five-day hunt, but they still should be rutting a little bit. So I'm super excited for that hunt. Um, and then, yeah, finally, <clears throat> I've got a, a late season archery uh, bull tag in Arizona which is a, a tough hunt again. I've done that one a couple of times and I, I killed one the first time. And then the second time I did it, I, I just, uh, just didn't come together. And then, uh, I've got, I've got another permit. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes. It's, it's fun because you see a lot of elk, but it's really tough because it's just so thick and really rough country. Is that a, is that a tough to draw tag? No, it's actually pretty easy. So there's a, quite a few of those late archery uh, bull tags in Arizona are still relatively easy to draw. And, uh, I mean, they have low success. I mean, they're typically like 10% or less uh, on the harvest success. And, and it's a tough hunt, but it does give you the opportunity to hunt some, you know, really good units where there's some great genetics and some great bulls. Uh, it's just tough to fill your tag because it's, it's so thick. I, Two years ago when I had this tag, um, you know, I, I hunted for, I want to say eight or nine days and, you know, I found a bull like on day seven and I, that I wanted to hunt and kill. And, and I had him within range two different times. In fact, I was within, I was, I was like 32 yards the first time and I was within 40 the second time. And I mean, both times he just basically stood up there and looked at me like, you know, what are you going to do? You're, you're not going to thread this needle. It's just, it's too thick. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> that I, yeah i guess i didn't th- when i think of arizona i don't think of of that i think of more open country and stuff and that's from me never being there but uh that's 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 crazy yeah, yeah there's parts of that central arizona and then you know even into the southern end of the state um but really that that central part it's man it's thick there's there's some areas of that that's just so choked out with undergrowth and brush it can be, it, it's great for elk. It's good habitat, especially in the winter, but, uh, it makes it dang tough to bow hunt. Have you, uh, have you ever done that, that late season mule deer hunt in Arizona? I have. Yeah. I got, I've gone down and done, um, javelina. So linked it in with the javelina hunt and, and done late archery deer. And that's a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can chase, you know, three and four point desert mule deer all day or, you know, there's some really decent coos deer and, you know, you lump that in with the javelina hunt and it's a ton of fun. Yeah. It's a fun hunt. 
I got a, I got a buddy of mine who just texted me a couple of days ago, and he's he lives in Wyoming, but he's like, hey, I got this. He goes, I'm gonna hunt over the counter mule deer Arizona in January. He's like, you should come with me. He's like, I think it's gonna gonna be a a fun hunt, and that's one of those ones that mm-hmm. that uh, I you know I I definitely have on the list along with so many other things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. No, that one's fun. I mean, you'll you'll see a ton of deer. Um, it's kind of fun because those coos bucks are rutting in, in January. Same with the muleys, they're rutting a little bit. And it, it's, I mean, it's action packed. You can get in a stock every day and you'll, you'll see a pile of deer. That's a fun hunt. That used to be back, back before I worked here. I mean, it, uh, that was a hunt that I'd love, I would love to do, but it's just gotten so busy in January now that I can't really peel off that time of year to go hunt, but I would say go do it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good advice. There's, yeah, like I said, there's so many, so many hunts I want to do. And it seems like, uh, there's, there's not enough time in the year. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I agree. Especially in the fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, like, you know, when it comes to like say elk hunting and I like to, to bow hunt for the most part. So it's like trying to, you know, there's only one September and it's only, you know, <laughs> 30 days long. So it's, uh, it's difficult, but I've, I, I think here in the next, well, next year I should start drawing some decent tags. I've, I've never drawn any tags as far as it's all been over the counter to this point out West, but, uh, I'm looking forward to, to starting to, to draw some tags. Like I said, I've been, you know, I kind of, what I did was I went on go hunt and started looking for places and, and, you know, basically went through as if I, had unlimited points anywhere and kind of pick places I wanted to go and then kind of set goals of, you know, short-term, mid-term and long-term goals and then built like a strategy mm-hmm. together. I have a whole spreadsheet, you know, broke down and I, I seem to just keep adding to it, <laughs> and, you know, to get to buy yeah. points and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, that's the way to do it, man. Break it down. And, and you make, you're exactly right, man. Long-term, short-term, and then kind of opportunity, and once you kind of dive into the data and you start looking at the application strategy articles and, and the odds of things, a lot of that is, is really apparent. I mean, there's states where it makes sense that, that it's got to be long-term just based on their, the draw and the type of hunts that they provide. And there's some states, you know, maybe, you know, Colorado that you can build a few points, you know, maybe one to six or seven and go on a hunt. And then in the meantime, you can hunt over the counter if you want to. Um, you know, there's there's definitely states where it makes sense to build, and and there's definitely some states where you you build a few and go hunting every few years, and then you know you got states like New Mexico or Idaho, you know where it's completely random draw, and you know I don't apply in Idaho every year because you have to buy the hunting license in order to apply, and it can be kind of expensive. But New Mexico, I think, is the state you ought to throw your name in the ring every year because you just you never know, and you could draw a really killer tag. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh New Mexico's I've been applying the last couple of years, um, for that. And I, I kind of shoot for the fences with it. I've been, you know, I have other plans of, you know, places kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, in my head and then I'm like, you know what I want to, if, if I can draw one of these really good tags, I, I definitely, definitely go there. I mean, it is possible. I, I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. where you've hunted, you know, in, uh, New Mexico before. And a few years ago, 
uh, my dad and his buddy, his buddy's been trying to get him to go out and do a late season mule deer hunt in, in January. And, you know, one of those units up along the Colorado border with super, super low um, success as far as with uh, drawing a tag. And his first year they drew it. So it was, um, you know, it's, oh, wow. it's a luck of the draw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And, I mean, it's just like you're saying, yeah, you never know if you don't apply. So, I mean, I, I apply, you know, apply where it makes sense. And, you know, really Western big game hunting, it, it does. It takes, it's just like you're saying, it takes planning and preparation years in advance to make a hunt happen, you know. I mean, it's just like the, the, the permit that my kid drew, you know, I've been buying him points since he was eligible. And, you know, finally this year, you know, he's 15 and, and I have enough points that I can put him in and, and take him on a really fun hunt. So, yeah, apply where it makes sense and, and plan and do the work, man. It sounds like you're well on your way. So that's cool. Yeah. And and, and one thing you said there that's that I think's really important and, you know, you, you'll know a lot better than I will, but like just as far as with, with, the whole game of getting into to Western hunting and it's, it's something that definitely takes time and planning and, you know, not, not all of us have unlimited budgets. We don't have unlimited time and it's, you, you just got to plan it. And ever since I've started doing that, it's kind of, I, I feel like it's helped me in all aspects of life from a planning side of things. And, you know, I'm, cause I'm, I, I've been, ever since my first year, I've been going on a Western hunt of some sort every year. So I'm always, you know, keeping up with, you know, my physical fitness and, you know, just planning things. And it, it keeps you really organized. And when you have those types of goals like that, I feel like it just, it goes out into other things from whether it's my, you know, my day job or doing with the, the East meets West and the business there, like everything, I feel like it's just helped me in, in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's become more and more of a lifestyle. I mean, I I know, I'm, and I'm not I'm not speaking for you per se, but for me, I know that you know it, it is my job, and it's what I deal with every single day. Whether it's you know looking at the you know the data and the research side of it, or whether from looking for hunting gear. So I mean, that is part of my job. But yeah, it. I mean, that lifestyle, like planning for you know the fall, it, it you know bled into all all parts of my life. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm the same. You know, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I follow you on Instagram. It looks like you hit a fair more, a fair more of the of the weights, you know, and the curls than I do. But um, <laughs> I, I, st- I still run, you know, quite a bit and, and try to keep my fitness up. But you're right. I mean, a lot of that is is just so that I can, you know, be a better hunter in the fall. Yeah, and there's there's one there's one difference there that too is uh, you you get to play in the mountains a little bit more. So you got real world experience. <laughs> yeah. Mine, I'm trying to create it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, I I'd, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. Did uh, when you first started coming out, what uh, what did the elevation do? How was it? Oh, it put me down pretty hard. It. Uh, I, I remember. Yeah, I remember getting out at a rest stop in Colorado. It was somewhere along seventy there, where it was higher elevation, and I got out to go walk to the restroom, and I was like out of breath, and I'm like, oh, this isn't. This isn't good, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, the elevation definitely affected me quite a bit. And the more I've helped with my cardio side of things here, it seems to help. And then there's also things like um, 
I take some of the, the mountain ops altitude pills before I go out like three to five days in advance. And that seemed to help a little bit. And just, and, and then also I try to plan my hunts that I can, the first day or day and a half, I can kind of go easy to get used to it, you know, and, and kind of wean my way into it. Does, do you live at elevation or do you still kind of deal with that a little bit yourself? Um, yeah, I, I live at about 5,700 feet. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess for you, I would, I would say, yeah, I live at elevation, but, um, within, you know, 20 minutes I can be at, at 10,000 feet, you know, just go up the Canyon. It'd be, the other day, uh, a buddy and I, you know, we, we took off here and, and went up the mountain and we just ran a, a trail that goes up here and he and I were both kind of noticing how much wind did we felt. And we were probably 9,500 feet, but, um, yeah, I, I try to do like, I try to do mostly trail runs and, you know, I do try to get up in elevation and, you know, when I'm scouting, a lot of that is, is up in elevation, you know, I'm 8,500, 90, you know, 9,500, even up into to like 10,000 feet. So I'm, I am fortunate, but I, I was curious on how that, how that would affect you. Oh yeah. It, it, it definitely does. And, and my buddy that I hunt with, he, he actually had to go to the hospital in New Mexico. He was on a mule deer hunt and he was up around 12 and a half, 13,000 feet. And he went right there. I mean, drove from, you know, 1500 feet in Pennsylvania to drove straight out and then hiked right up in and got really sick. And they ended up having to take him to the hospital and he was really bad i mean his blood auction level was so low they said mo some people you know if he would have been out of shape would have probably died from it and said that he couldn't go back mm -hmm. to elevation and it was just you know so it's a serious it's a serious thing and i feel like it affects everyone a little bit differently mm -hmm. yeah and there's there's good info kind of buried in what we're talking about so i would say i mean it sounds like the better your cardi your cardio is you know that's going to help and then you know typically try to arrive a day or two early and if you can you know very gently ease yourself into the elevation i think it will help yeah that's yeah i i agree with that statement there that's just it's it's something that it, it took me a little bit to figure out myself. I mean, I was just out in Colorado beginning of the month visiting my brother and I went out with my girlfriend and she seemed unfazed by the altitude where even, you know, for me, it took me a little bit. I was breathing heavily when we were hiking and uh, doing some stuff there where, um, you know, it, I guess it just depends. And you don't, you don't want to, if you can, you know, add that those couple extra days, on the front end of the trip to, to get yourself acclimated because otherwise if you, you know, put yourself down, I mean, even in, I think it was in 2018, I even knew that, so, you know, I've been, I'd hunted for a couple of years out there and first day I went out with my dad and we just started hiking and I think we did like a 12 mile day the first day and I got really sick and had a bad headache mm -hmm. and just, and it was, it was really, it was really difficult. And of course, you know, my dad being a lot older than me, he still kicked my ass when it came to doing that. He was unfazed by it, but <laughs> yeah. some, some people are just tougher, man. I, That's I what get it. Is. it. <laughs> I, I'm not arguing that. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a similar I'll just share it real quick, but I, I had a, a mountain lion tag 
um, that I'd drawn and I took, I, I went with a buddy of mine who I've known forever. He's just an old cowboy. I mean, and, uh, he told me, yeah, if you turn a, a lion track up, you know, we'll go out and we'll, we'll run lion and he's got mules and stuff. We'll spend the day and we'll run the lion. And, and so I found a big track, you know, called him up. I sent him a picture of it. And he was like, yeah, I'll be there. So we, we ran this lion the whole next day, but, um, just kind of along the same lines as what you're talking about. I mean, this guy was, you know, in his, in his fifties at the time I was in my early thirties and I was running a lot. I was in really good shape. And I remember we got down into this Canyon and, um, super steep, super rocky. Couldn't even take the mules down in there. And I remember we hiked down in there and, uh, coming out of the Canyon, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the guy and the guy was wearing leather, leather chaps, you know, like riding chaps and cowboy boots, Wranglers and, and a damn shirt. And we got to the top of the hill and that guy looked like, I mean, I looked like I was going to die. Like I was sweating, <laughs> you know, and I was in really good shape. And this guy is just like, what, you know, what's going on? Are you going to be okay? And that's the only thing I can figure is that this guy was just a heck of a lot tougher. He was just more, he was just more Western than I was, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. Wr- Wranglers and cats just flat out hiked me. <laughs> that's that's so funny. I I met a I met a cowboy in the the back country in Colorado was it a couple years ago and and he knew um the friends that I went hunting with their family had been hunting this place for years and years and they knew this guy and he came in on his his horse and he was, you know, at night we we were sitting there getting ready to go to bed and he's drinking whiskey out of the bottle and he'll get up and hike in the morning and same thing like jeans and i'm like man this guy is just just tough there's no there's no other way to to explain that i i don't feel like it's any more comfortable for him he just knows how to deal with it better (laughs) mentally tougher yes i think i think you're right i think you're right yeah that's funny so with um so it's kind of talking about, you know, you have this, this over the counter, I think you had said the the elk hunt that you're going on with Chris, that's an over the counter tag. It's uh it wasn't over the counter unit last year. Uh, this year they changed it to a draw, but we drew it as a second choice and there's, there's piles of leftover permits for it. Okay. So with, with a hunt like that, that's a, you know, over the counter, easy to draw or anything, you know, when, when you're going into that, what are some of the things that you're, you're thinking of or what goes into some of your planning, uh, to do that? Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of the people as they're getting into it are going to be doing these over the counter tags in places like Colorado. What are some of the, the key things that you're kind of looking at going into it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it starts even a little bit before that and in, in trying to like pick the area, and, and I talk to people all the time that'll call up. And in fact, I've talked to one guy, you know, many times he'll call up and, and just kind of try to pick my brain on what area to hunt. And we talk to two different scenarios and stuff and, and it can seem, you know, overwhelming. And I can see how people get buried in trying to pick a unit. Uh, for me, uh, what I start looking at, especially if I'm looking for like an opportunity to hunt like, like this one, that's either easy to draw or I can pick up over the counter um, you know, I start looking at, at things like harvest success. So I, I think, you know, a lot of people say like, well, harvest success isn't, you know, isn't important to me. I'm, I'm one of those, you know, 10 percenters that fills my tag every year, which is great. But for me, uh, I think it tells the story, you know, so like if I'm looking at the number of hunters surveyed, you know, and I can see that harvest success is, you know, maybe it's, it's stayed relatively the same or maybe it's peaked or 
you know, dipped or whatever, but I, I do look at harvest success. So for example, the unit I'm looking at um, has a pretty solid trend, you know, like that 10 to 12% range. And more interestingly uh, is that, you know, they typically survey a thousand plus hunters out of there. Well, that means they're killing, you know, a hundred, a hundred plus bulls out of there every year on the archery hunt. So there's, you know, there's obviously a plenty of elk, right? There's, there's a pretty decent herd of elk in there if they're killing a hundred bulls every year. Um, you know, it's okay that there's a lot of pressure for me. I don't mind that too much, especially in this unit um, or any unit, because I'm going to start looking at, at things like wilderness. So, you know, how much space is there? How much, you know, if I'm able and willing to outwork somebody else, can I find some distance away from other people? So I start looking at things like wilderness, uh, you know, remote areas. Uh, I'm looking at harvest success. Um, and then, you know, once I get the tag, uh, I'm going to start looking more intently uh, at that unit and kind of picking it apart uh, with, a, with a map. So, you know, I may, I may start looking at things like burn layers. So I want to look at the fire history in the unit. Um, you know, elk are just, you know, they're like flies to a, a burn area. You know, they just, they, they flock to it. So if you've got a burn area that's maybe two or three years old, you know, even up to maybe five, six, seven years old, uh, the feed in there is going to be exceptional. It's going to come back and it's just, it's like ice cream to elk. So they're going to be in that country. So I start looking, I start looking at burn areas. Um, you know, the other thing I like about hunting burn areas is that, you know, it's more open generally, right? So mm-hmm. I love, I love a, I love a burn area. If it's like two to three years old and there's still a bunch of standing dead, um, I love that country because I can still see elk through it, but I still have enough cover that I can close the distance, you know, so I can be within 80, a hundred yards uh, and I can see the elk, but I can still use some of those standing dead to close the distance and, and get a shot. It, it opens up those shooting alleys as well, which I really like. So uh, I'm looking at uh, burned areas. I'm looking at water. So elk is, you know, they, they, they need water every single day. They're a big animal. Um, so I'm looking for things like wet meadows and springs, uh, anywhere I can find like little benches, uh, in the topography that have got some wet meadows or areas. It's typically a spot I want to check out for elk. Um, you know, I'm looking for nice mosaics. So, so elk, deer, uh, even that, you know, even antelope, I guess a little bit, uh, to a lesser extent, but you know, they love mosaic-y habitats. So, you know, a lot of edge. So if you've got a lot of cover and you've got adjacent uh, feeding areas and you've got a lot of edge, you know, a nice mosaic habitat, that can typically be, you know, a magnet to elk and deer because they want to have, you know, areas to feed and then areas to get back into cover. Um, you know, elk love those big north-facing slopes that are dark timber uh, for bedding areas. So I'm going to start looking at those types of things. But yeah, I'm going to start picking apart the maps and the landscape and, and pretty soon, you know, I'm going to have a, a plan together based on what, what I think the habitat's going to give me. So yeah. that's kind of my first step. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you had said there trail was like, you know, you're talking about those edges and this, I, I try to relate things back to, uh, you know, with whitetails, a lot of people to, to think about. So where, where I hunt in the Appalachian region, it's a lot of big timber. It's not ag country, 
But anywhere I can find a lot of diversity in that type of timber, whether that's, you know, logging cuts, um, whether it's pine thickets, hemlocks, uh, you know, anything that creates that diversity, like you're saying, is a magnet for whitetails too. So like there's a lot of things that can be applied that people are hunting here to to out there. And I can't speak as much on the Western side of things, but it, it seems like there's some, some crossover there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're you're spot on. I and I'm 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 the opposite of you. I've only hunted whitetail the one time, but uh, I would I would think it translates across different species. You know, you know, elk, deer, uh, coos deer, you know, mule deer. They 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 love those edges, and and typically the the better, the more mosaic and breakup that you've got, uh, the better. Yeah, I yeah I I like that. So all right, so now you have a you know that was a high level overview of your kind of plan. So you're heading in, what, what are you doing to like, when you, when you're going in for the hunt, what's kind of going through your head? Um, say you go in and you're not finding elk. What are you doing then? Like, what, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to kind of have a plan together. Um, you know, loosely like, Hey, I, I want to hunt this drainage or this area and I want to check it out first and foremost. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to need to plan to get into that area. So if you need to find a, a trailhead or, you know, trails or, or whatever your means is of getting in there, whether there's roads, uh, whatever it might be, but, um, I'll typically start with an area and, and I'll have areas, you know, A, B, C, and D and, and kind of on down the list as backups. Um, but once I get up in the area, uh, I think your timing you got to think about timing. So a little bit is going to depend on when you hunt. Um, like for us, an example, I, I think your best bet for finding bulls in the rut is typically that like 15th through the 25th window of September. Um, you may be kind of on the front end and maybe they're going to rut late one year or they may rut early. They might be rutting like the 8th or 9th or 10th uh, of the month. But typically, I think if you're in the elk woods between, you know, the 15th of September and the 25th is your best chance to, to get into some rutting action. So, you know, picking your dates, if you've got an earlier hunt than that, say you want to hunt the first through the 10th of September, you might try some different tactics, whether that's like finding wallows and sitting them or spotting stock. But um, you got to think about timing. Um, once I'm in there and I get in there, um, you know, I'm not a huge caller. Uh, I'm, I'm not a good elk caller. I, I just flat out am not. I don't spend a lot of time practicing it. Uh, I can cow call and I can locate bugle and typically I'll carry a bugle and I'll just, you know, send out a bugle and try to get a response. Uh, from that point, I'm, I don't make a lot of noise unless it's cow call. And my preferred method is, is I like to follow along with the herd. I like to get in tight before I have to cow call. And uh, if I can beagle just enough to keep a bull going so that I know where he's at, um, that's kind of my preferred method of, uh, of hunting elk. Uh, and then I guess something that I should say is like, if I'm not finding elk, um, you know, there's so many, I feel like there's a lot of people that they go into an area, they have expectations of what a hunt's going to be like and they get into an area and, and it's not what they thought, you know? And, and I feels like they're, you know, they get so let down that they kind of give up on it. And the biggest piece of advice I could give to, to people, you know, Western big game hunters in general is, and the guys that I know that produce every single year, the biggest difference is that they're just willing to put the time in, you know, and they, and they stick with it. 
So that's that's my biggest piece of advice is if you're not finding elk, you know, have a backup plan and and head towards that area and check that out. And if that doesn't work, have another plan. So, you know, stay mobile, cover country, um, you know, use your tools, use a bugle to locate, use your binos to locate elk. Uh, but, you know, don't don't give up until you find what you're looking for and then stick with it. Yeah, that's that's a great piece of advice. And it's it's funny, you know, I get to talk to a bunch of different people on here. And I think the common thread between people that are, you know, consistently successful is that just putting in the work and the time, uh, you know, when things aren't going mm-hmm. right, just keep keep working at it. And it's, it's so easy to, uh, you know, I'm, especially, you know, for me, like my first year out there, like, after like five days, I was like, I'm ready to go. Like I was, wasn't, you know, find anything we did at the beginning. And then it was like a, a struggle and, and, you know, through time kind of learned a little bit of, of that. Just, it definitely takes time. I think that's a, that's a really, you know, solid, I guess, piece of advice there for, for anyone. I mean, that's, if, yeah. if there's one thing that I've heard from you know, listeners of the podcast or friends or anything that have went out there, it's like, finding elk seems to be the the toughest part right i don't know about the toughest but it, it seems to be the most common thing that people are struggling with is you know locating elk in general mm-hmm. yeah and it, and it can be tough especially over the counter units um you know they're they're smart you know and they they seek cover and they may be really call shy um you know i would say cover ground like i said that the more prepared you go into that hunt, the better you're off going to be. So if you've got, you know, backup plans to your initial plan that you think is your best, you know, you've got plan A, B, C, D, and, you know, on down the line, you know, and just start working through those, you know, have those in your back pocket and, and be mobile. It's, it's actually one of my, one of the reasons I, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, being, you know, a mobile elk, elk camp. So, you know, I, I do a lot of baby hunting and I know that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of really well-known people in the industry that are kind of saying, you know, that don't don't do it that way. You know, set up a base camp. You know, you don't want to carry your pack everywhere you go. But I, I, for me, I would say that a, a big part of the success that I've had is being mobile. So you know, everything on my back every day, you know, and just moving. You know, base and hopping. Um, you know, elk are big. I. I killed a bull in New Mexico. It's been, oh, it's been probably five years ago. Um, you know, I stayed with this one bull for probably five days and he had a really unique bugle, which was great because I could, I could hear him and I knew it was him. But from the point where I first picked him up to where I eventually killed him was probably, you know, seven or eight miles. And, you know, he was just moving country with his cows. And, you know, if I hadn't, if I'd been trying to go back and forth between like a base camp and trying to hunt and kill him, you know, I'd have walked my legs off. Uh, for me, it was a whole lot easier. And I had, I had probably, you know, two or three close calls with that bull, either, you know, right at first light or right before dark, um, that I wouldn't have got if I was trying to, to either make it to him or back to camp. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of mobile, you know, being mobile when you're hunting elk. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's solid. And like you said, there's, and again, from, you know, interviewing a lot of people, there seems to be so many different, you know, strategies. There's, you know, a bunch of different ways to skin the cat, but I mean, that totally makes sense. And 
and I'm sure like, I mean, too, like when you say either you or another hunter, which is probably going to happen with an over the counter unit, you know, spooks them out, they might, you know, move quite a ways. And if you're able to Mm -hmm. just chase after them and not being like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta walk all the way back to my truck tonight, or I gotta walk back to this base camp, then, then uh, you're, you're more apt to probably chase after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say, you know, you, you got to be smart when you're, when you're hunting like that. I mean, it, you can't just, you know, willy nilly walk around with, you know, the wind at your back and blowing into different drainages and stuff. You have to kind of plan your route and, and kind of plan as you're hunting that way. But I, I mean, for me, I unequivocally, I can tell you that I've been more successful since I started hunting that way. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, so is there anything else if there's like one, one piece of advice you could give, I mean, you already have, but anything else you can think of that you want to, you want to give the listeners as far as a, a piece of advice for, for, you know, elk hunting or Western hunting in general, because then after that, I'm going to ask you about your whitetail experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, my, my number one tip is just don't give up. I, that I like to tell people that like I have a weak mind and a strong back, you know, like I just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, don't, don't overthink it and don't, you know, don't give up, just stay with it. Um, so, so, you know, stay with it and and don't give up and go for it. And then, uh, I think the other piece of advice is something I've been thinking about a ton lately is, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people that'll say, Oh, I, you know, I had a, I had a great hunt, but the shot presented itself. And like, I didn't make the shot, you know, I missed, I either shot high or, you know, I got buck fever and, and totally whiffed it. But, um, I would say do as much prep, especially if you're bow hunting. Um, because when a, you know, when a bull elk or, you know, probably in your experience, when a big, you know, white cell comes walking under your tree stand, uh, that, that feeling can be like overwhelming. Like it can be, just almost make all your extremities numb, right? Just like blackout. I've got I've got a buddy that'll tell you like he completely blacks out. He's like, yeah. I don't even remember seeing my seeing my pants, my pants, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I would say do do as much work uh in that regard leading up to your hunt as you can. So, you know, shoot every single day. Um I, I can tell you from my standpoint, uh, I, I had a real bad case of target panic, uh, shooting an index finger release about, well, it's been probably 10 years ago or so. And, um, you know, I switched over to, to shooting a hinge release, you know, a back tension release, which took like, you know, completely re- retraining my whole shot process. Um, but I can tell you absolutely, uh, I've made shots with my bow uh, that I, I wouldn't have made otherwise because I, I kind of relearned, uh, that technique. And I, I've told this story before and I apologize if you heard it, but like, I, I remember drawing on a, a bull in Wyoming, uh, a number of years ago and he walked out at 55 yards and he was standing there completely broadside and I'm a draw. And I remember the pens, um, you know, gapped ahead of 50 and 60, you know, gapped on his side, right where I wanted to hit. And I remember just like my, my brain is just like screaming at me, just like shoot now, you know, shoot now. Cause you always think like, if I don't shoot right this very second, this opportunity is going to, 
you know, I'm going to miss it. Right. Like I have to shoot right this second. And I remember just, you know, my mind is screaming at me to dump the string. Uh, but I didn't because I'd been, you know, I'd been re relearned, you know, the shot process, learned to shoot with tension and, and learn to execute a shot. And I remember just like, it just went and all of a sudden it went and it was like a nice surprise release. It went off and like I, you know, I 12 room that bowl, he went over and died about 40 yards. But I know absolutely like if I would have had a trigger, like I would have melted in that moment. Like I would have punched the trigger and uh, you know, whether you shoot an index finger release, you know, I would say do some work now on your mental management of that moment so that when the actual shot presents itself, that you can make the shot. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's so, and yeah, how many times have you heard, and I've experienced it myself, the the blackout phase, you know, and, and I'd, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you write an article for Go Hunt on this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've written some, I think Brady's written some on, on Target Panic as well, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many what ifs, right, like, or what might have been, you know, with people you know, that have, that have missed animals when, and that's actually, I would say that's bled over into a lot of things. Like I, I feel like I'm a better shot with a muzzleloader, you know, I'm a better shot with a rifle because of, you know, kind of relearn that process. Yeah. And it, you know, so I, I remember reading that multiple times and Brady's cause that, so that was the first time I had Brady on the podcast was the beginning of last summer. I was struggling with it to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't even shoot my bow to target anymore. I was struggling during hunting season. I was, and I was shooting an index finger and I bought a, a thumb trigger and I was like, I, I was struggling with, I'd be good. And then I wasn't, you know, I was really struggling with it. And so between, you know, Brady, you know, your article and then other people that have helped me, I had a bunch of people that helped me with it, you know, kind of retrain. I literally didn't, uh, yeah, I took the sight off my bow for a while in practice, I, I mm -hmm. bought a, I bought a back tension release and then retrained myself, watched videos, did everything I could to just kind of get my mind right, not focusing on that pin. Then I put it back on and I don't think I didn't actually, which was cutting it close, but I never started actually shooting targets and shooting, you know, 3d again until almost August. And just because mm -hmm. I was just practicing, I just go out and shoot a ton of arrows at you know point blank range just practicing executing and that then fast forward you know i ended up getting to a point where i felt comfortable i wanted to hunt with my thumb button and you know train myself to hunt with that and use tension to activate it and on my elk um you can actually see it in the in the video the hunt because the camera guy justin was right over my shoulder and, and you can see i was i was still shaking i was not I, I wouldn't say mm -hmm. that I was like purposely calm, but I, that shot broke as perfect as it could possibly break. And it was a 60 yard shot and it hit exactly where I wanted it to. And, and I, I can almost guarantee you, I would have screwed that up if I wouldn't have went through the process of kind of retraining my mind and, and, and practicing that, right. you know, cause I mean, think about it. You're, you're putting in all this work for that one moment. And if you can't hold it together at that point, then, then, you know, you're kind of screwed and all that work wasn't, you know, what would you yeah. do it for? 
Yeah, yeah, you can you can have all the gear and you can be in the best shape of your life and you can do all the work to put yourself into that position. But like if you if you can't execute that shot every single time, then you know what what are you you know what are you doing? So it, I would say you know put put the time and effort into it. And uh, you know, I love I love the fact because that's exactly how it felt like to me. I mean it's it's not that you're not excited. It's not that you don't get buck fever. Cause I still do. Like I get, you know, I get buck fever probably worse, you know, worse. Like I, I, I still get <laughs> so excited when that, when that moment's going to come, it's just, you've done so many repetitions and you've done it uh, that way. You know, it's not like you can just punch that trigger, um, you know, that the muscle memory kind of takes over. And I, I know for a fact that like, since I made that switch and like I said, I think it's a, it's been maybe 10 years ago, but, um, I, I've definitely been way more successful. Yeah. That, that'd be my tip. That was a long, that was a long winded tip. Sorry. No, that's, that's good. That's, that's really, really great advice. It's, uh, like I said, that was a, such, and it's, I relate to it so much because of the personal experience I had with it, but man, is that, uh, is that a big, you know, a big deal being able to execute it? And it's helped me, you know, even for white tails and everything else. And I think, for me, it's just the confidence that, that I have now. Like when I put the pin there, I'm expecting it to hit where I am aiming, not wanting it to, or not praying that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. N- n- knowing it, you know, rather than just hoping. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, absolutely. so I want to ask you about, you said you went on, you know, one whitetail hunt. And if I remember right, when we were emailing, you said you did that last year, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's let's hear a little yeah. bit about that that whitetail hunt and your kind of experience going from west to east. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a that was another one of those hunts where I just I, I met a guy. Um, I was at the APA show and I, I popped by a you know the Matthews booth and you got the Mission Archery and and Matthews right there together. I started talking to a guy. His name's Ben Shell. And he, he works for Matthews. There, he's an area rep. Um, I just started talking to him and said, yeah, I'd never been whitetail hunting, but, but I wanted to go. And, um, and it was probably like a 15 minute conversation and we swapped information. And, um, you know, I, I swear you, like Midwesterners, Easterners, you guys are just, you, you're so much more friendly and outgoing <laughs> than us Westerners because I, I mean, he invited me out. I mean, he, he made it happen. He said, you know, I've, I've got this piece of property that my father-in-law farms. It's got some river bottom country. Uh, it's there in, in Sparta, Wisconsin. Um, you know, come out and, and stay with me and, and go whitetail hunting for a week. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'd love to, you know? And so that's essentially how it happened. I mean, I flew in and he picked me up from the airport and, you know, took me out to eat that night with his wife and a buddy and his wife. And we kind of just shot the bull. He let me stay in his basement there at his house. And I just, I, I came home, you know, I've, I've told people here that I work with and I've told my wife, I was just like, man, I, I need to be a much better person. Cause like, I'm seriously getting, you know, this guy was the nicest guy in the world to me, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was fun. Like I, I love ambush style hunting. So like, you know, sitting in a tree stand or sitting in a blind, uh, you know, sitting on a wall or something like that for elk. I love that type of hunting. I, I don't mind it at all. You know, sitting from dark to dark, it doesn't phase me one bit. So I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, it was interesting to me is, uh, you know, when I talked to him on the phone, he said, 
you know, hey, be prepared for cold temperatures. And I said, well, you know, how cold? And he's like, oh, you know, it could be in the 20s or, you know, maybe in the end of the teens, which I'm thinking it's pretty cold. But, you know, I've done 20 degrees, you know, I've backpacked in 20 degrees, you know, you know, been fine. And but one, one, one thing I know, I know for sure is that like Midwestern or Eastern cold is not the same as Western cold. <laughs> you guys have got You've got that moisture in the air and the wind chill, and it's, you know, it's a heck of a lot colder. So, um, you know, I remember, you know, every layer I had, basically, I you know, I packed sitting in a tree stand to, to stay in the tree stand. So, uh, I didn't anticipate that, but, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. My hunt had, I want to say, three or four days. Um, you know, the action, it was the first part of November. It was, it was pretty slow. I didn't see many deer. Although there were tracks everywhere, um, he ended up moving me over into a, another stand and uh, had a buck come through. And it's, you know, it was the first buck I'd seen. And, you know, I was just so juiced and so excited. So I, I arrowed it and, and ended up killing it. But it was, it was probably two, maybe three year old. I was probably two year old. I, I was trying to make it a three year old. It's a two year old, I'm sure. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah just just awesome i loved it i had a i had a blast and and i love that country i would love to do more white tail hunting yeah well it, one one uh hunt i think that you would like is the the style of hunting that that i do here you know it's you know big timber i i always the way i explain it to people it's a combination of western hunting a little bit with white tail hunting where you know you're hiking in a ways and, and, you know, I'm taking in, I've been hunting out of a, a saddle. Um, and, you know, I take my tree sticks in and out almost every time. And I'm, you know, hanging on these, you know, these big ridges and the Appalachian mountains and stuff. And it's, it's really fun to, to get to do that. It's low deer density area, but you can really get some, some old deer. And, and in addition to that, you know, I've also done some backpack hunts for whitetails and that's just, that's really mm-hmm. fun. Cause it's like I said, it, and part of like, you know, my podcast and everything, it's like, all right, you know, ad, ad, adventure is kind of, you know, yours to define with it. You can have that experience. Say you can't say you just had a, a kid or you just got married and funds are tight or something. You can't go out West. You can take some of those things that, that you would have an experience out West and mm-hmm. apply them anywhere in this Appalachian range. I mean, there's, you know, I, I did a rifle hunt last year. It was just a weekend, couple night thing, but backpacked in. Um, I think we packed in like two and a half, three miles or so and, and set up camp. I had my seek outside with a stove in it and everything. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, it, it can be a lot of, a lot of fun. And, uh, it's a, just a yeah. completely different style of hunting. Yeah, that's, that would be fun. That sounds like fun. And I, I would totally, I mean, that sounds like a riot I, and, and it's just fun. It's fun. It's probably the same experience for you, you know, coming out West, getting to hunt new, new environment, new country, mm-hmm. you know, new species. There's just that adventure that's in that. I mean, it's, it's so, so much fun. The other thing that I kind of touched along the same lines of what you're talking about is, um, you know, I, I talk to people all the time and they'll say like, Oh, I can't afford to, you know, hire out of state. The only, you know, the only opportunity I have is maybe here, you know, close to home. But, um, you know, some of my best hunts, some of the hunts that are like the most memorable for me is when I just like had, 
you know, I had like maybe two weeks of paid leave that I'd saved up and, and you know, I'd maybe lied to my boss and told him I was going to be sick for, you know, a couple of days of that to try to tack on. But, um, you know, I maybe only had two weeks and I had one tag that was just like a general season tag. But, um, you know, I put a bunch of time in scouting and I found, you know, an animal to hunt, a buck to hunt. And, and, and the more time and effort I put into that, um, you know, the more satisfaction I felt at the end of that hunt when it went my way. So, yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time, just because, you know, you may not be able to hunt out of state doesn't mean that you can't have an adventure hunt or you can't, like, pour all your time and effort into, you know, like, finding, you know, a really mature old buck. And, and like, the satisfaction that you feel from having that come together is just it's awesome. Some of my best hunts have been that type of hunting. Yeah. Adventure I- hunting and hunting for an older animal. Yeah, it for like for me here, I, I laugh and you know I get x amount of you know days of vacation a year that fluctuates a little bit, but I always spend at least a week hunting the Pennsylvania whitetail rut. And I'm like, why don't you know? There's bigger deer other places. There's all this. Stuff. I'm like, I just love it. Like it's one of those things that I can, uh, you know, I I like hunting new places and and I do in Pennsylvania too. But I get the chance to scout them. I get the chance to try to figure them out, and that's a whole different style of adventure in its own like you were just saying about picking one buck and hunting them you know same thing and it's uh it's it's incredibly you know fulfilling and then when it does come together it just makes it that much better yeah that's that's the part of whitetail hunting i think like i could really get into just because i've I've done it here in the past not so much anymore because i get spread out you know i get my schedule spread out between multi-states and species and stuff which is you know it's fun too but um, yeah, I, I think for whitetail hunters, that's the part of that whole process that like I could really get into is just spending the time scouting and, and playing that chess match with like an older age class buck and really figuring that out. And I mean, I, I think back, like I, I killed a, I killed a mule deer here in Utah. Um, I think in, it's been in like 2013, I think, but you know, I hunted that buck for, you know, I scouted all summer long time once had a trail camera photo of him but i hunted that buck for 17 days and before i got a, a shot at it you know and i was able to take him but like that that experience is like one of my most satisfying experiences in the woods just of what what it took you know and just like i have so much respect for that animal and that whole process so yeah don't don't overlook those close to home opportunities yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more. So with with you, you know, you said you you want to do it again. Are you gonna are you gonna whitetail hunt this year? I'm not this year, just because I've got that late uh, archery elk tag, which is in November uh, in Arizona. But oh, okay. I want to do something. You know, yeah, maybe 2021. I would love to do something like that late season. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. Yeah, whitetails are a, are a cool animal. I mean, I'm. I was going to do it last year and I'm still planning here in the next few years, but to hunt North Idaho whitetails, you know, and, and do something mm-hmm. different, you know, just hunt, just hunting different places. It's uh, it's always a, always a blast. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. And Eastern hunting whitetail in the West, right? Yep. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> cool. Well, trail, I think, uh, I think we're going to end this episode here. I would, First, I want to you know thank you for coming on and and talking to me here. I think this is a, a great conversation. And and secondly, where can people find out some more stuff, some of the work that you've done, um, anything else, any plugs that you kind of want to give here? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, if you want to read some stuff that I've written, uh, you can read it on just GoHunt's website. You can just do a quick Google search of trail, which is just T-R-A-I-L, and then Kreitzer, K-R-E-I-T-Z-E-R, and then Go Hunt, and it'll bring up a list of articles that I've done. Um, I've been writing for Go Hunt. I, you know, I free, freelance wrote for, for Go Hunt for a number of years before I came on full-time with them. So uh, I got a bunch of stuff there. And then um, I'm on Instagram, um, just at Trail K11. And uh, I'm on Facebook, I think, but I, <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> but I have <laughs> I, if you if you want to follow me on Facebook, you, you might be disappointed. But yeah, I I'm relatively active on Instagram. Cool. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on here. And uh, I definitely we we talked about it a little bit. It would need to be a whole separate episode. But I want to talk about your moose hunt at some point. So we're gonna have to get you back on. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Trail. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, you bet. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.